Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. What an awesome Sunday school department we have. The future of the church is strong. I've got a friend who attends a traditional faith church. He's a wonderful guy. We were sitting at dinner not too long ago and sat down and he's, we were talking about our different churches and he's come around a couple times and, and we're working on him. We're, we're trying to get him a little further down the road, so to speak. But he's very distraught. He's very, he's sad because there are no young people in his church. His wife's number one function, her, her ministry in the church is funeral direction. <laughs> and it's because the body is quickly passing down. I have nothing against white-haired people. As a matter of fact, I'm quite jealous. But he says, my church is all white-haired people. And when a young family does come in, they only stay for a short time because there's, there's nothing there for them. There's no fellowship for them. There's nothing for their kids. There's no future of the church. And so they have already projected a relative time frame when they're going to have to close that church if that doesn't, if that doesn't change. And I think that's very sad. And uh, it, it, it makes me sad for him, but very, very happy for us and, uh, and what's happening. Uh, Pentecost is alive and well, and it's powerful in our young people. Hosea chapter 6, starting at verse 4, says this. It says, O Ephraim, this is talking to Israel now. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew, it goes away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You can be seated this morning. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about something that God has laid on my heart as he continues to guide and lead. I believe, by the way, and I'm, I am fully, fully pressed that the things that God has been leading our leadership, Pastor Meyer and myself, Brother Steve, our teachers, uh, Brother Meyer, this morning, you spoke directly to the foundation of my message. I so appreciate what you said about restoration. I believe that we are in a season of refining God is speaking to us about things that can help us to refine. Doesn't mean we're bad, doesn't mean we're terrible, we're dysfunctional, we're not doing what we're supposed to do. But I believe that there's a place that we can go, that God wants us to go to refine who and what we are. And I think these messages continue to come from all of our teachers in that direction. He wants to get us to a place, a new place. He wants us to be to be prepared for the work that we have for this community. And I think this really speaks directly to that when we start to talk about mercy, I want to talk to you this morning about blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Mercy is an interesting topic uh, in that people often combine it with mercy and grace. You see those two terms come together quite often. As a matter of fact, I don't know when it was or how it happened or where it came from, but during the course of my relationship with God, somewhere in there, it just became something so important, so pivotal to me that almost every time you hear me pray, and I am not bragging, by the way, this is just, this is just my own personal function or dysfunction, however you want to review it. 
You can do things differently, not a, not a challenge to you, simply what God has done in my life. And that is that every time that I pray, I just find myself, not purposely necessary, but I find myself always starting out almost every time with thank you, God, for mercy and grace. Because there have been so many incidents, I believe, in my life and in my walk, in the time I've been in the church, that God has extended such powerful and unbelievable moments of mercy and grace on somebody like me. And it's powerful. I've shared a couple of these stories with some of you. There are events that have happened, and I, want, I would love this for every person in this room. Every person. And if you have, awesome. If you haven't, I hope maybe this helps get you there. These moments of mercy and grace when it's almost like God opens up a window in heaven and just takes a bucket full of it and just pours it out. And you just feel it cascading over you, just pouring over the top of you, mercy and grace, that presence, that power, that embrace that he puts around you that just says, yes, I love you, I forgive you, I'm embracing you, I'm giving you mercy. Let me give you a quick example. I've shared this a little bit before, but hopefully it, it, it resonates a little bit more now. So one Sunday morning, I came, to, I was still the youth pastor at the time, and I was sitting right over where, where Sister Brianna's sitting, and uh, I came into church that morning, and I, I did not have a good attitude. As a matter of fact, I can't even remember what the issue is. Uh, I just remember the power of this moment. So I came into church that morning, and, and I was there, and I just remember I didn't want to be here. I had a bad attitude, I was not thinking properly, I was angry, there was just something going on, and I was so frustrated, I just remember wanting to run out the door. I don't know what it was. Have you ever had, has anybody had that moment, or am I just a strange weirdo? Okay, um, and, and so I'm sitting there, and I, I went through the motions of song service, and uh, yeah, and I sat and listened and paged through my Bible during the message. Terrible, terrible for someone in ministry, especially a leader, terrible behavior, and I felt so awful about it. Now, if any of you know me for more than five minutes, you know that when it comes time for altar service, it's always been one of my ministries. I was trained from a very young person, from teenager, to, to work in altar ministry. It's one of my passions. I love to work in altar ministry. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that, but it's, it's something I feel really strongly about. And now, at this point in my walk with God, it's to the point where we, we call altar service, and I'll stand there, and I'll wait for God to direct me to somebody. I literally will. My cousin was here a, number, a couple of years back, if you remember, my cousin Lisa. My mom had brought her, and she, I didn't even know she was coming. All of a sudden, I look around, there's my cousin Lisa. I haven't seen her in 15 years. And, and at altar service, mom brought her up, and I saw her. She was, you know, really intense. I think God was really touching her, and I looked at her, and in that moment, God said, go pray for her. I'm going to fill her with the Holy Ghost. And this happens often. I'm just so, again, mercy and grace. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for using me. A slug like me, and you're willing to talk to me and use me for your purpose to help somebody else. I feel it now while I'm telling you this story. And so, I've learned to be obedient, by the way. When God says, do something, go, do it, say it, do it, whatever God says, right? So I made a beeline over there. I didn't even say, hi, Lisa, how are you doing? It's nice to see you after 15 years. I walked up to her and I said, Lisa, do you believe God can fill you with the Holy Ghost? And she kind of sheepishly said, yep. I said, good, because he just spoke to me and said, if I come over here, he's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Put your hands up in the air. 30 seconds, boom, full of the Holy Ghost. Not my glory. (laughs) 
Not my glory, obedience, sacrifice, being willing to be a fool, act out on what you feel God directed you to do, even if it doesn't happen. So back to my story over here. So terrible attitude. So altar call comes, and normally I would stand up and I'd wait for God's direction and his order and, and see if he would send me. Often we'll do that, go pray for so-and-so. The morning that Quincy was here, I waited, I sat, I was praying, praying for him. God said, pray for him, I'm gonna fill him with the Holy Ghost. So I crawled up over to the platform over here on the far side, buried my head in the carpet, and I just, I tried to talk to God and it wasn't working out very well at all. I was selfish, bad attitude, terrible. And I'm, I'm repenting, I'm, God forgive me, I'm just, I feel bad for being, behaving like this. So I, sta- I sat there for just a couple of moments. Is, is Angela in the room, did she leave? She's, oh, she's practicing. Okay, so altar service is going on, I'm over there and, and after a few minutes I'm like, well I'm tired of this, I'm going to go home. And I pick my head up and I look to the left, which was this way, and here's Angela, Sister Angela Matson, standing here with three young ladies from our youth department. All of them standing there in a little semicircle with the hands up in the air. And Angela looks at me and she says, <laughs> Did you guys get that? Okay, all right. It was. And I, I, I jumped up without thinking. I jumped up and went over there. And she said, They're all praying. You got to pray for them. So I began to pray. They were in a little semicircle. And I began to pray for them. And one after another, just like that. It was like God was just exploding at each one of these young ladies, filling them with the Holy Ghost, just praying, worshiping in tongues. And, and one of them, Elena Nowak, spoke in some of the most beautiful, unbelievable language I've ever heard when someone's filled with the Holy Ghost. It was astonishing. And I'm standing there, and I just took a couple of moments to pray over them. And God fills them all with the Holy Ghost. And now comes the buckets pouring out on me. I can barely stand because I'm so moved. And I'm weeping and I'm weeping and I'm weeping because God's mercy is so great that even with a turkey that's over here with a bad attitude and a terrible (laughs) action that morning, he allowed me to be a part of being used in that way. And I'm just feeling just the buckets of mercy and grace pour over the top of me. And I'm standing there. And Brother Kylie came over and he was real, he's smiling and he's praising God. And I threw my arms around his neck and I wept like a baby. Because God is so merciful. Because he's so kind. He's so forgiving. Instantaneously, he uses me in that way. And Angela and I have shared this story. You see, at the time of this passage that Hosea wrote, the children of Israel were really very good at bringing sacrifice. They were good at bringing their offerings. They were still doing all that stuff. They were good at going through the motions as I was doing that morning. By the way, I probably, I guess I brought my tithe that morning. I made my sacrifice. I went through the motions of worship. I, I didn't leave. So I made the sacrifice of going against my own will and I stayed. And Israel at the time was very good at that, but they were going through the, no, the motions. But if you read in that chapter, in a, couple, in a chapter before and after, they had really given up the knowledge of God. They had, they had already started the process of turning from God 
and, and they turned from truth, and, and the, they just weren't pleasing God. They had given up on things like mercy and grace. And they thought their sacrifice was going to save them. They thought their presence, they thought going through the motions was going to be their relationship with God and it was going to be good enough. And they were wrong. You see, mercy, and it said right there in the scripture, God would rather have their hearts, have right hearts, full of truth and mercy and sacrifice rather than just going through the motions, going through just being present just continuing to give that basic sacrifice. He wants those deep things of your heart. And certainly my heart was not in a good position. Mercy is love that responds to human need in an unexpected or unmerited way. At its core, mercy is forgiveness. And we associate the two at its core. But it's not all just forgiveness. Mercy is love. Mercy is tenderness. There's so much wrapped up in it when you look at God's definition of mercy. The Bible speaks of God's love for sinners, and, and that's all of us, of course, through the terminology of mercy. It's, it's basically God is not punishing us for the sins that we deserve to be punished for. That's mercy. But grace, grace is a little bit different. It's God's blessing us, excuse me, it's God blessing us despite the fact that we don't deserve it. In other words, the woman caught in an act of adultery. It was mercy when Jesus said, let he who's without, the first, without sin cast the first stone. But it was grace that said, go and sin no more. You see, there's a little difference there. And it's important, I think it's really important that we understand this quality of mercy. Again and again and again, and I'll touch on it in a moment, throughout scripture, mercy just prevails. It's a characteristic of God. It's an essence of God. There's, there's a famous uh, quote by uh, Charles Spurgeon, and I'm sorry I don't have it for you, but, but essentially what it says is in all the context of the context and content of the Bible, mercy assembles that in one word. Okay? In other words, you could take all of the, everything that the intention is and all the word of God and everything that he put into it and it comes down to that one thing, mercy. Because it's so powerfully multifaceted, there's so much to it, and it's such an important characteristic of God. And I'll explain a little bit more as we go forward. Mercy is deliverance from judgment, but grace is extending kindness to the unworthy. Okay? Keep that in your mind. Man always wants to show how good they are at the sacrifice part. That's how we are. We want to show. We want people to know how great we are at the sacrifice. But the deep, meaningful things of the heart, that's where we stumble. That's where we have a hard time. It's easy to sacrifice. It's easy to come to church and give. It's easy to come and sing and worship and be a part of the praise service and sit and listen to the pastor talk, right? Those are the things we excel at. And that's what Hosea was saying to the people through God. God was saying through Hosea to the people that You've already, you're pretty good at the sacrifice stuff, but you, the things that are real deep in here that I'm really concerned about, that's where we struggle sometimes. And remember what I said at the beginning, I believe that we're in a time of refining. Refining, repair, getting better at what we do. So it's not to say that we don't have mercy, we don't have grace for people, 
and that we don't experience that well with God, what I'm saying is, is I think we could get better at it. I think what God is saying is we've got to be masters at mercy. We have to, because it's so easy to slip into an unmerciful condition amongst one another. For years in church, we used to pray for our unsaved loved ones. We would talk about our unsaved loved ones, our unsaved loved ones. Let's pray for our unsaved loved ones. And even as a young man, I would say, but what about our unloved saved ones? The fact of the matter is that familiarity breeds contempt. And the more the family's together, you spend too much time with your extended family and you start picking at one another and start having some little issues, right? It's just a natural tendency. Well, folks, we're, we're nothing more than a glorified family, right? And so without having this guardrail, without having this refinement of mercy and grace in our own lives, churches specifically can tend to get a little judgmental, get a little tough on one another, get a little challenging on one another. Why? Because we hold ourselves up to some sort of a standard that makes us more human than other humans, right? We tend to be very strong in our, in our stance on what we know the word of God is and what we know principles are and doctrine is. And so when we, we, when we conflict on some of those things, we tend to let mercy and grace kind of take a back seat sometimes. So I believe that as God is kind of giving us this guardrail, he's kind of giving us this refinement idea, he's preparing us for a time when there's gonna be more people coming to the family and there's gonna be more opportunity to extend grace because people are gonna make mistakes. They're not gonna know the doctrine like you know the doctrine. They're not gonna dress like you think they should dress. They're not gonna act like you think they should act. And we gotta be careful because if we set ourselves up with this regimented refinement of sacrifice like the people of Hosea's time and we're going through the motions and aren't we pleasing to God? We dress the right way and we talk the right way and we come in and we throw our hands up and we worship. But somebody comes in and makes a mistake and wacko! We cut them off. Then we've lost, we've messed up the whole thing. Forget it. All that other stuff doesn't matter. Right? I mean, does that make sense? You better believe I'm talking to me, by the way. You guys know there's little mirrors on the backs of all these seats? Pointing back at the guy behind the pulpit. They're called people. <laughs> Little reflections of what I'm talking about. Okay, I'm glad somebody got that. I couldn't possibly cover today with you all of the, the scripture and the foundation of scripture based in the concepts of mercy. The script, just the number of scriptures alone that mention mercy and being merciful are unbelievably numerous from Genesis to Revelation. But I do want to reflect a little bit of the importance in the word, just so you understand, bringing to remembrance. Deuteronomy chapter seven and 12, a beautiful passage. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if ye hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swear unto thy fathers. Hearken unto these judgments. What he's saying is adherence to the word of God. Keeping them and doing them will bring God's mercy for you. It's a pretty big deal. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. 
Now I want to tell you that that phrase alone, his mercy endureth forever, we sing it in worship songs, appears dozens and dozens of times throughout scripture. As a matter of fact, Psalm 136 is 26 verses extolling the virtues and the power of mercy with God, and every single one of those 26 verses ends with the phrase, his mercy endureth forever. Now note, it does not say, his grace endureth forever. I can't find that anywhere in scripture, by the way. Eventually, grace is gone. You know, we live in the dispensation of grace. When Christ was crucified, it began an indeterminate amount of time in, in, in the timeline of, of existence. When, when Calvary happened, that began a period or a dispensation of time that we refer to as the dispensation of grace. Some of you may not know that. Some of you are familiar with that. Okay, before that, the dispensation of the law. There's other dispensations, but suffice to say that Grace began at Calvary, and it is an indeterminate amount of time. Why? Because at the end of grace is when God returns. We don't know the dispensation time period because he says in the word of God, no man knows the day or the hour of my return. And so we have to be prepared. We have to constantly be that bride that's always perfect, always getting ready, staying pure, ready for God. But we're under a dispensation. What that says to me is that grace will end. Because after the dispensation of grace, you're not saved by the blood of Calvary anymore. If anyone even has an opportunity or a chance, which I highly doubt in most cases, and it's mostly for the children of Israel remaining, it will be by your blood. Okay, so grace has an end. So it doesn't say grace endureth forever. It doesn't say his presence endureth forever. His presence will not remain on this earth. At that time, when he comes to pull his spirit out of here, Holy Ghost is gone. Now, of course, his presence is everywhere in the universe. I'm talking about his meaningful, conscious, Godhead presence, gone from this earth. Evil will be able to run rampant completely and just be completely unleashed. That's why I don't believe there's many that are even going to have the opportunity to sacrifice themselves in that time of, of the dispensation after grace. By that, I mean where they are taken and they lose their own lives to save their lives, okay? Now, I know I'm getting a little deep in that area, and that's not my intention. I'm just trying to give you an idea. There are things that are not enduring forever above mercy. That's how important this is. His blessings will not endure forever. He will stop. There was a period at the end of the Old Testament after Malachi when God disappeared from the world for 400 years. So his presence will not endure forever. Psalm 23 and 6, one of our great psalms that we love to quote, the, the sixth verse of Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 32 and 10, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Trusting in God brings mercy. Proverbs 3 and 3 says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart. You got to have mercy and truth wrapped around your heart at all times, no matter what happens. Folks, I've had people come to me challenged with a relationship issue, counseling issue, fussing and fighting with somebody, having a conflict with someone, just dealing with that issue 
struggling with forgiveness. All those, we talk about that all the time. But one of the things that was impacted on me when, when I was coming up and when I was being taught is simply this. Compare anything that you could possibly experience in offense from another person here, whether it be verbal, whether it be physical, whether it be some sort of monetary issue, whatever it is, compare any offense, any hurt that you could possibly experience here on earth because of another person or an entity or a corporation or a boss or whatever it is. Compare that to what happened up there. And then see if you feel justified in having no mercy for somebody. If Christ can endure that and then still turn to me and say, hey, you angry, bad attitude turkey, I'm going to use you to help three young ladies receive the Holy Ghost. You see what I mean? But Brother Cole, you don't understand. My brother said this to me. He did these terrible things and he stole money from blah, 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 blah. How does it compare? Oh, that's real simple to say. Isn't that a great, well, that's just a fun saying to say. No, it's real. It's real. And the word of God says, if you can't extend mercy, if mercy is not wrapped around your heart, if you don't have this as part of your character, if you don't understand what real mercy is, you're not going to continue to take part in the mercy that that provided. You understand, that's how critical it's important that this characteristic, this one particular characteristic of God, this all-abiding characteristic of God has to be in you and in me all the time, in everything we do. It's that critically important. Proverbs 16 and 6 says this. It says, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. By mercy and truth, iniquity. You understand what iniquity is? It's chronic generational sin and failure. It's chronic issues, terrible problems. Oh, my whole family's like that. They all get offended. I know families, personally, no families, that all the siblings are just constantly hating one another, fighting and beating each other up and tearing each other apart and get offended at the slightest little thing. Drop a hat and somebody's in a war. And it's terrible and it's unnecessary. And what they don't understand is they're not doing any good for the other person at all, but what they're doing is worse damage for themselves. But the Bible says that by mercy and by truth, that iniquity and that family could be wiped clean if they just got a hold of this one concept. Folks, it's a powerful tool. It's a powerful thing. You will operate out in the world, and, and, and I'm going to get to that in just a second, but you, you operate out in the world, and you extend a little bit of mercy to somebody. My goodness, they just, they're blown away by it. It's incredible. A very rich man that I, I knew, I was acquainted with through some business operations one time, we were having a conversation. I had to share this with you. And uh, he was quite wealthy, and so quite wealthy people that operate in business are often um, sued. They get into legal issues all the time. And this guy was dealing with some things had to do with union workers. And the funny thing is, is that the union guy that was part of the witnessing for this thing was also the guy that at night would bring the workers in and let them work for the guy at night off the union table. <laughs> and it was the same guy that was representing the union and the legal action. And so um, this, this rich guy got involved in this whole thing, and, and uh, he's got a pretty shrewd attorney, 
and uh, this, this guy's up on the, on the, on the uh, stand uh, testifying about some actions of this guy being an anti-union thing and all that, and it gets detailed, so don't worry about that. But the attorney has a little micro-cassette recorder, and as he begins the process of questioning this union representative, he takes that little microcassette recorder and sets it up on the witness stand and just leaves it there. And he begins the questioning process. Now, mind you, this union representative is the same guy that would come at night and bring those, those union workers to work for this company off the union table, off the scale, and do the work that they want to do for this guy while this, this conflict is happening, right? So these guys are making money. That's what they were doing off the table, right? Whoops, watch out for that. Trips you. So, <laughs> so anyway, he's doing double duty here is what I'm saying. And so anyway, this little micro-cassette micro recorder is sitting up on the thing there, and, and uh, he's questioning him on all this stuff. And all of a sudden, he asks him a question and says, Mr. So-and-so, um, you see that micro-cassette micro recorder sitting there? Yeah, I see it. He says, do you recall that sitting on my, my client's desk the morning that you were having some discussions about what to do for the labor? And the guy says, no, I don't remember that. Oh, okay. And then he goes on with his questioning. And what the guy realized was they had a gun to his head because they knew at any moment they could simply just reveal the fact that he broke all the union rules, broke the law, and came in at night, brought these workers at night to work for this guy and, and help them make money while he was double duty in the whole representation thing. You see what I'm saying? Hope I didn't confuse everybody. But he had a gun to his head. Now, whether or not that cassette recorder actually was there or not is irrelevant. It wasn't. There was nothing on the cassette recorder. But the guy knew that the gun was to his head, that if you don't testify the right way, I'm gonna, you're going to get found out that you're breaking the union laws and all this other stuff, right? And he could be in serious trouble. There's federal laws that go along with this and everything. And he looked at me and he said, Russ, the moral of the story is simply this. The guy I have the most respect for is the guy that puts the gun to my head and doesn't pull the trigger. And I didn't get it at first. I didn't understand what he said at first. What he was talking about was mercy. He was talking about, he still wanted these workers to have an opportunity to work. He still wanted this all stuff. These guys had families. They, they want to do all this good stuff. But if he was going to go any further with that action, Right? Sometimes you have in your ability, you have the right, someone offends, someone hurts, someone does something terrible to you, you have a right to put the gun to their head. Wrong is wrong, right? I mean, there are things that just are wrong that you can't do. You, and, and, and sometimes they're mistakes and sometimes they're malicious actions. And those in malicious actions, for example, you could put a gun to their head. But it's when you decide not to pull the trigger is when you're extending mercy. See, a lot of us have an opportunity, whether or not it's righteous or not, we have an opportunity to put guns to people's heads. I know you messed up. I know you did this. I know you said that. I know you made this mistake. So I'm holding this gun to your head. Now, mercy's not pulling the trigger. Grace is throwing the gun away. You get that? That's what I'm talking about. Jesus actually quoted that scripture in Hosea as he was teaching. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 
Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 12. I'll give you a second to get there. Matthew 9 and 12 says, but when Jesus heard that, and you could read the full context of what he's talking about, but when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting Hosea. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What he was saying is, is all these people, the sacrifice, the sacrifice, the people that know the word, the people that understand, that should know, that should know what it means, they know what to do. I've covered them already. I've given them my message. You understand, you people are the ones, I am the ones that should not need a physician. We've been given this message. We've been, we've been given grace. We've partaken of mercy and grace. We've partaken of the waters of baptism, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We don't need a physician for that anymore. He didn't come for that. And if they understood what he meant, and he says it, go and learn what I mean by this. I'm going to have mercy, not sacrifice. That's what I'm worried about. I'm going to have mercy, not sacrifice, for I'm not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Again, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 5, if you want to zip over there. He's alluding to the same scripture. He says, or have you not read in the law? I'm sorry, I'm cutting in there, but I'm just giving you the meat. You can go back and study. I hope you do. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath day the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. See, they were worried about defense to the temple, and Jesus Christ is standing there. God Almighty, God in the flesh is standing there. They're worried about the temple. They're worried about the wrong things. Sometimes, folks, we just get, we're so into our groove and so focused on our thing and we're so married to our ideas about something and we just get our will in the way of things and we're worried about that little thing and God is standing there going, I've got so much more for you. Don't worry about your one little plan or your one little idea or your one little soft offense. I've given you the whole world. Why does this one thing bother you? That's what he's saying right here. You're worried about the temple. I'm the temple. He says it in just a moment. Listen how he goes on to say, but I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if he had known that, what this means, again, he's challenging him. Understand what it means. I will have mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have, you would not have condemned the guiltless if you'd understood that, if you knew what that means. You would understand why I want mercy, not sacrifice. And then verse 8 says, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. I'm the boss, applesauce. You're so worried about the Sabbath day. I am the Sabbath day, he said. You're worried about the temple. I am the temple. Worry about what I want in this situation. Right? We're humans. We're human beings. We've got ideas and actions and things we want to do and stuff we invest in and stuff we want to get involved in. And it's so easy to get so wrapped up in our plan and our thought and our idea. And somebody tips our apple cart a little bit. Wham! No, ju- no mercy. 
You made me mad, Brother Imel. I didn't want it done that way. Right? And here poor Brother Imel is. He's just working for what God's got for him to do. I was so fixed on my idea. This is totally fictitious right away. Right, Brother Imel? Please say yes. It's just completely an object lesson, not, not real. Brother Imel's awesome. But you see what I'm saying? We can get so fixated. And it's natural. And it's okay. As long as we remember to have mercy on one another. Just be merciful. Understand. You make mistakes. I make mistakes. Right? See? <laughs> it's confirmed. The Bible says, out of the mouth of babes. <laughs> it's like a whole bunch of them, I guess. Probably exponentially more than most people in this room, really. But if we just have mercy, if we remember that we're going to make mistakes, we're going to do dumb stuff, we are going to hurt one another. But if we get really, really good at this mercy thing, and we really understand what it means to God when the people are coming, we can look past whatever they do, however they trip over our program or our idea or our ministry or whatever the case is, and God's going to bless that. He'll purge iniquity out of your life. He'll give you grace. He'll give you healing. There's so many things that he wants to provide that we block him through these types of things. And I'm telling you what, mercy, lack of mercy, lack of grace for people is a surefire way to just shut God out of what you're doing. Because the opposite of mercy and grace, judgment and execution, is sin. It's wrong. We are not the judge, and we are not the executor. But so many times in life, have you dealt with this out in the secular world? You make one stumble. And people right now in the world, by the way, it's incredible. Out there, man, you stumble and you hurt somebody, you make a mistake, and you, it's judge, jury, and executor. Boom, done. Fast. I mean, get involved in road rage one time. My goodness. My eyesight isn't what it used to be. And once in a while, I'll turn the blinker on and I'll think I cleared it and I didn't. You're getting all these one-letter messages sent over and, and I'm just, my goodness. Have a little mercy. I made a mistake, right? It's incredible. Mercy involves the withholding of harsh treatment that one has a right to inflict. In some cases, people are worthy of a pretty good wallop, right? They do some bad stuff. But mercy will go much, so much further for that person and their soul than your execution of judgment. Critically important. Abraham Lincoln said in 1865, I have always found that mercy bears richer fruits than strict justice. It's an excellent quote. In The Merchant of Venice, and I'm not going to read it to you, but there's an excellent, I'm a huge Shakespeare fan, and, and um, in The Merchant of Venice, there's a passage where Shakespeare writes, it's a beautiful poem about mercy. I encourage you to look it up if you're at all interested in that type of thing. It's actually a gorgeous poem. I was going to read it to you, but we're running out of time. So if you want to stand with me this morning, we get our musicians I mentioned to you that the world is, it doesn't take a genius. I mean, 
Our Sunday school kids can tell you how unmerciful the world is, unfortunately. There's cruelty there because the enemy works and operates in the world. And when people operate in the flesh, they don't understand God's spirit, they don't have what we have, they're going to make these kind of mistakes. And they do. They operate in such a level of cruelty and anger and just a complete lack of mercy. It's just not even part of our culture anymore. And, of course, the fear always is, is that as we operate in the world and we get kind of wrapped up in some of that stuff, you know, somebody once gave me an illustration that said if you take a white towel and dip it in a, a bucket of oil, you take a clean, another clean white towel and you put the two of them together, you don't get two white towels, right? You take a dirty glass of water and a clean glass of water and pour them together, you don't get two clean glasses of water. The danger is, is that we operate in the world and we function in the world, we have to do business in the world and we interact with that type of stuff. We can, that dirty towel can kind of rub on us a little bit, right? There's always the danger of the culture of the world slipping its way under the doorstep of the church. And so God's message in all of these things is that we can refine, we can create guardrails, we can show mercy, we can be awesome at it. And people will see that in you and they'll recognize it. There's been times when you can almost interact with somebody. Anybody have this experience where you've interacted with someone and they made a mistake and they really messed you up and they're expecting you to clobber them? It happens, I, it happens all the time. I was at a restaurant the other day and something happened, they messed up the order or whatever and the lady, I, I, I'm really sorry, sir. We completely forgot. And she's shaking. I said, that's all right. Not a big deal. Oh, thank you. Seriously, it happens all the time. I experience this frequently. People make mistakes. They took too, oh my goodness, they took so long in the, in the, the line to get my coffee. Oh, we're really sorry. Here's a free coupon for, it's all right. I'm, I'm gonna be okay. Zig Ziglar talked about a story one time. He was in an airport getting ready to fly out. He flew all over the country, all over the world all the time. And something happened to the airplane. And are you laughing, Brother Marty, because you know the story? Yeah, you know the story. It's on, one of his, it's on one of his audio programs. But he says, he's at the airport and they, they, they shut the flight down because there's mechanical problems on the flight, on the plane. Okay, get that. There's mechanical problems in the plane, right? And they shut the flight down, they delay it. And there are people at the counter and here's this poor, nice lady at the airline counter and they're blasting away at this woman. And Zig Ziglar, and he gets up there and says, well, what's going on? You know, what do I do with my ticket, et cetera? Says, I'm so sorry, sir. she's begging forgiveness. He said, that's all right. Well, he keeps doing this over and over again. And finally, somebody asks him, dude, what's the deal? Your flight's canceled. You're going to sit here in the airport, messed up your whole schedule, et cetera, et cetera. But he, oh, yeah. He said, it's terrible. Connecting flights are messed up. My appointments are messed up. My whole schedule, I'm going to lose money on this because I'm in a speaking engagement, et cetera. And they said, well, how can you be so calm about it? How can you be so, like, no big deal? He said, listen. There's mechanical problem on the flight. And if there's a mechanical problem and I get on the flight and they take off and fly, there's a good chance that I'm not landing where I'm supposed to land. But what good is it to mercilessly attack this representative of the airline when they're just trying to keep people safe? See what I mean? Matthew 5 and 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Folks, I want to tell you today, I need mercy from God. 
I promise you, as perfect as you think I am, okay, there we go. I make lots of mistakes. I blunder, and I'm going to continue to do so as little as possibly I can. But I need God's mercy. From now until the time I die or he comes back, I need, I desperately need his mercy. For the day that I come in and I have a bad time at church and he uses me and pours that powerful grace and mercy over me and gives me that wonderful, awesome day and I felt a mile high off the ground, I got to baptize those three young ladies the next day. It's one of the greatest moments of my life. I'll remember that until I die or Jesus comes. I need that. I want that. Do you want that? You want those moments in your life? Do you want those buckets poured out over you? Micah chapter 6 and 8 has a great message. It says, He that showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly. Brother Matson, I learned this message, this, this scripture from you. I know it's one of your favorites. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And finally, Titus 3 and 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. A scripture I got from Brother John that he likes. See, it's not by the works of righteousness. You can walk around here and think you, you, you give the most and do the most and show up the most and run the most things and do all these great things, but if you don't have mercy, none of that's even valid before God. I think that's his message to us today. Let's love one another. Show each other deep levels of mercy and grace. And the more that you do that, the more that you extend that mercy, the more God will just open up those buckets and pour mercy and grace. You'll get to the place where you can't even stand. It's so heavy and so powerful. I've literally fallen to my knees and just wept like a baby feeling that grace just pour out. The altar's open this morning and you can come on down. Just ask God, am I where I'm supposed to be? Do I have that mercy? Because I want that. I want that pouring over me, God. I want that experience. And he'll use you this morning. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.